0: Well, you survived us. That's good. That's good. It's our ministry team. We call ourselves the Staff Infection. And uh, it was a uh, joy to be able to share with you today. So God bless you. We're glad that you're here. And what a joy it is to sing praises to the Lord, even when it's fun like that. Daniel chapter 11 this morning, I'm going to look at verses 1 and 2. 53% of Americans say they are One more than one-half of Americans say they are psychic 53 percent of Americans think they are 53 percent said I, I I get these feelings and I get these impressions about the future and they come true are they what about those paid professional psychics now, you know you're driving down the road and There's one, I saw one today, driving to church. It's about three miles from here. Psychic! And and you go in and you pay them and they tell you what's going to happen. How accurate are they? Well, Richard Saunders did some research into psychics and how often their predictions come true. And here's the number that kept coming up over and over and over. Here's how accurate they are. 11%. So it's called the Saunders Rule because Richard Saunders did all this research into the psychics around the United States, and as an average, they're correct about 11% of the time. That is, if you keep the samples very small, and the time they have to foresee into the future very short, 11%. We're going through a sermon series right now entitled The Ancient of Days. We're going through the book of Daniel. And we're following the storyline, one chapter per Sunday. And the first six chapters of Daniel, is ver- they're historical. They're, they're four teenage Hebrew young boys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, taken out of Israel and taken to live in Babylon, a culture very unlike their own faith. And they, they don't compromise. They live out their faith. And then chapters 7 through 12, Daniel gets one dream or vision after another. God shows him things in the heavenly realm. And chapter 11 now we come and he has a vision where Daniel predicts the future. All of chapter 11 of Daniel is nothing but predicting the future. How accurate was he? 100 percent, not 11, 100. Well, what was the sample size? Was it small? No, 137 specific predictions in chapter 11. They all came true, 137. Well, how long out did he predict? Uh, Was it a short time? No, 400 years. 400 years after he predicted, 137 came true. Why? Why is Daniel so accurate and American psychics are not? Simple. God. God has a vision of the future. And he tells us what it looks like. Read with me the first two verses. Chapter 11. And as for me, Daniel said, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Now listen to the next sentence. And now I will show you the truth. And then he begins his predictions. Behold, there are three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up against all the kingdom of Greece. And he goes on for 45 verses. I'll not read them all, but I want to tell you what they say. So look at letter A on your outline, Daniel 11. Let me give you a summary of all the predictions. When Daniel had the vision, Persia was in control. Persia is today the country of Iran. So Persia was in control and Daniel was subject, and God's people, subject to Persia. 50 years, Daniel said, 50 years after this vision, here's what I see happening. Persia is going to fall because there's going to be a mighty king rise up and conquer the entire world. And it happened. His name was Alexander the Great. So number one on your outline there, the first four verses of this, of this chapter talk about Alexander the Great. And you know the story from history of what happened with Alexander the Great. He came in with, with Greece and he conquered Persia and he conquered the entire known world and made it all his empire all, all the way from India all the way through Greece and two million miles he conquered in eight years. It's incredible by the time he was 28 years old he had the entire known world but he had a problem alcohol there's still people with problems with alcohol and alcohol got him just before his 33rd birthday all the world was his and he died in a drunken stupor, and Daniel said that he would. And then after he died, we go to number 2, verses 5 through 20 on your outline there. His kingdom's divided. Number 2, he's got this massive kingdom, and his kingdom is divided. And, and, And Daniel talks about that. He talks about where all it's divided to, and he divided among four of his generals. A general by the name of Antipater. He had the Macedonia, Greece area. Some call him Cassander. And then a second general, Lysimachus, he, he took the area around Asia. And, and then there was a third one, Seleucus, he took the area around Syria. And a fourth general by the name of Ptolemy took the area around Egypt. And so they divided it up, and, and we're told in the book of Daniel, it's going to be divided all to the four winds, four different directions. It's exactly what happened, but none of those four generals will be as strong as Alexander was. And they weren't. And so beginning right here folks we have what's called a dual prophecy. Daniel is looking 400 years down the line into what would happen but he's also looking even further down the line to the end of times. And he's telling us that what happens in the next 400 years will be repeated at the end of the world. Talk about that in a moment. And so now he's beginning to prophesy a dual prophecy 400 years yes that it happened but later when the world ends and our day ends he tells us what will happen so verses 5 through 20 very specific predictions and of these four generals he narrows in on two of them you'll see them on the screen he just calls them the king of the north, which ended up being Seleucus from Syria, and king of the south, which is Egypt under the reign of Ptolemy. Now, if you look at Syria to the north, and you look at Egypt to the south, and if they're going to do battle, and the meat in the middle to do battle, where, where does that lie? It, it's Israel. So as the north and the south gathered for battle, a worldwide battle, it would take place in Israel. At the end of time, it will again. So here's what happened. Daniel tells us that the king of the north and the Syria and the king of the south, Egypt, they're, they're, they're the greatest powers and they they're decide, you know, We don't want to fight each other and kill each other off and both become weak. Why don't we join forces? Good idea. So how do we join forces? Well, let's intermarry. Let's have one of the princes from the north marry a queen from the south. Great idea. We're family now, right? Well, one of the princes of Syria married a queen by the name of Bernice to the south but a problem the prince is already married that's a problem so his wife did not appreciate the new queen so she decided to kill her and she poisoned her and Bernice was poisoned and died well, this infuriated the South. Our queen has been killed by the, the jealous wife from the north. So they then rush and attack the North. Where? Right over Israel? And so for five years, 246 BC. to 241 BC, Daniel predicts it long before it happened, and sure enough, it happened. for five years they battle, and the South avenged the death of their queen and conquered the North. And the north was weakened. And eventually Syria would build back and they built back to one of the strongest powers and they thought let's try this again. Maybe we can marry, become family and not fight back and forth. And so they decided a prince from the north, another prince from the north to marry a queen from the south. Her name was Cleopatra. And so they married and it it didn't work. And once again, the north become to, began to weaken in power and eventually fall to a new nation that was rising up that Daniel talked about, the nation of Rome, the great Roman Empire. But just before, Daniel said, just before Syria loses power, there's going to rise up a man who is evil. He's a madman. And he hates Israel, the passion. His name is Antiochus. Antiochus Epiphanes. So if you see number three on your outline there, Antiochus Epiphanes rose up in Syria, but he had one thing in his eyes. He hated God's people. And He set his eyes on Jerusalem, set his eyes on Israel. And the Bible said that, that flames would come out of his eyes in anger as he looked at God's people. And he tried as best he could to get rid of God and get rid of God's people and bring down his kingdom and make all the Israelites, Greeks, Hellenized, So there would be no more God's people. And Antiochus, he was going to be bad. Daniel talked about him. And he was. I told you his story three Sundays ago, but Daniel talks about it again. Remember his story? One day he had been out fighting the Romans, and the Romans would eventually win. But they won this battle this particular day, and it angered Antiochus. So he just decided to march to Israel and take his frustration and anger out on God's people. So he gathered 20,000 troops from Syria headed to Jerusalem. He's mad. And he got to Jerusalem and began sacking the city of God and ransacking, burning and pillaging and went into God's beautiful temple overlaid with gold, laid out meticulously as God said it should. And right in the very presence, the middle of the temple would be God's holy of holies, his presence. And God's people had such such meticulous details about how you even enter it. And Antiochus went into the Holy of Holies and threw everything down and crashed everything and kicked it over and burned it, trying somehow to eliminate the God of Israel. He decided to do something. God's people worship only God. Well, I'll, I'll change that. So he took a statue of his God, Zeus, and he set it up right in the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was. And made all the Israelites bow down and worship Zeus. He said, you have two choices. You can bow down and worship him or I'll kill you. He had his soldiers there. Some of the Jews then came and bowed down and worshiped Zeus and the others refused and he had them slaughtered. And he did one more thing. Antiochus Epiphanes, he, he went in and he knew how the Jews had Commands from God not to eat pork. Had these dietary laws. And so what he did was he brought in a pig right to the altar of God, right beside Zeus. And he sacrificed a pig on the altar and commanded all the Israelites, took some of the pig juices and scattered it over the body of the pig and commanded all God's people to worship it. Some did, some didn't. Those that didn't, slaughtered. And he killed thousands and thousands of God's people. Well, then he commanded all the Israelites, bring a pig with you. When you come to worship, bring a pig and sacrifice it if you don't off with your head. So one by one, the Jews, to save their lives, brought a pig into God's presence, laid it before the altar of Zeus, and would bow down and worship. And this went on for several months until finally one old priest had had enough. His name was Mattathias. He was in the little town of Modaim, which is a suburb of Jerusalem, still there today. In fact, when we go to Israel, our, our tour God lives in Modaim. So he's watching all Jews, one by one, bringing in the pig and and sacrificing. The old priest is watching. He says, I've had enough. And he pulls out a dagger and kills his fellow Jew for sacrificing a pig. The Roman guard comes and he kills the the Roman guard, Syrian guard. And the battle was on. Antiochus sends in troops to put down the uprising, but some of the Jews gathered around that old priest named Mattathias, and there was one military commander named Maccabeus, whose name meant the hammer. And he gathered the Jews and fought off the armies as they came, and for seven years they were able, able to hold off the army and not sacrifice any more pigs. Finally, in the midst of the seven years, Antiochus died. And his brother took the throne. His brother didn't hate God's people and worked out a peace agreement with the the Israelites and himself where you can restore your temple and you can get rid of the pigs and you can get rid of Zeus and you can restore the worship of God again in your place. And they did and they gathered together the Israelites and they joyfully reassembled God's temple and God's holy of holies and put the altar back and his presence came back and they finished on December 25th And they celebrated, and they still celebrate on December 25th. It's called Hanukkah. And that's why they celebrate Hanukkah today. That the temple was cleansed and made right. God's people, once again, could worship God. And Daniel predicted every bit of the story 400 years before it happened down to the detail. But then we go to the end of the chapter, verses 40 to 45, the end of time. Here's what Daniel says next. Daniel said, whenever the world ends, we're going to repeat this entire story. There's going to be nations rise up from the south, a league of of Arab countries are going to go together and form a world power. And and then there will be a a king of the north, and and there will be a king up here, and countries up here that will gather, and they're going to fight each other, and they're going to meet right over Armageddon, the valley of Armageddon in Israel. And there will be another Antiochus Epiphanes who will rise up, and hate God's people so badly, he tries to get rid of every one of them. But the new Antiochus, his name's going to be the Antichrist. But he will be another Antiochus who does the same. Now, at first, he's going to look good. At first, you're going to think he's good so much so that even God's people are going to say, oh, that man, he is a, he's good. He's a good guy and he's going to love Israel at first and then he's going to turn on Israel and turn on God's people and he's going to hate you and kill you. And then, Daniel said, the end will come. And all of this will play out again. Now, Folks, we don't know the nations involved. We can, we can try to venture and guess. Who are, who are the kings of the north? Well, if you go north of Israel on a map, there's only one really one country up there. It's, it's Russia. If you go to the south, there, there are many countries. There are many Arab countries to the south of Israel. And, and you can, we can conjecture, but we don't know which ones yet. But this will take place. And we don't know who this new Antiochus is going to be. We can we can make guesses as to who he may be. Let's see. He loves God's people at first, and all God's people thinks he's good. So you're going to hear him praised in churches, and he's going to appear to be for Israel at first. But then he's going to turn on both of you and hate both of you, and he's going to be the worst embodiment of evil the world's ever seen. We don't know who it is, but we know this. If Daniel predicted 137 things that would happen, and they all happened, and then he tells us this is going to happen at the end, you can count on it. It's going to happen. For sure. So the most important thing is to make sure you're ready for that. And not be deceived. Now here are some lessons we learned from chapter 11. Let me give you four of them. We'll close. Lesson number one. God is in control even when it does not look like he is. You, you go back to Daniel's day, it looked like things were out of God's control. You got one nation rising up. You have Assyria and Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome. One nation after another rising up and hating God's people and persecuting God's people and doing exactly what they want. And it looks like God is not in control at all. But all the time He was. And you go to our day, It looks today like God is not in control of this mess, doesn't it? I mean, you have nations doing things and you have Russia attacking Ukraine and you have movements and you have organizations and you have governments that look stronger than God and governments that do what they want and you have governments killing Christians one after another after another in our day and it looks like they can do nothing about it and God's nowhere to be found. That's what it looks like. Russia and China and North Korea and there's war going on and there's famine and there's persecution of Christians and the economy is out of control and gas prices are terrible and we don't have any baby formula and the food chains affected and sexual identity and revolutions going on that is against God's Word and Christianity is being pushed to the periphery and laws are being passed against God's Word and it looks like God is doing nothing about it. Don't be deceived. God's in control when it doesn't look like he is. And then in the last days, Daniel said, things are going to happen. Nations are going to rise, and, and people are going to persecute believers, and it looks like nations do exactly what they want, but don't be, don't be deceived because in the midst of all of this, God is in control. Folks, some of you came to church this morning and and your life looked out of control. I mean, there are things happening in your family and at your job and with your health and with your finances and it looks like God is doing nothing about any of them. But don't be deceived. When it looks like he's not in control, he still is. He still loves you. Here's lesson number two. His kingdom is the only one that lasts. Only one. You go through Daniel 11, one nation will rise up and they'll get really strong and they'll fall. Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, they'll rise up really strong and fall. Next nation rise up really strong and fall, and God's kingdom's the only one still there. It's the only one that lasts. And one day at the end, nation after nation, Russia and China, North Korea, and yes, the United States will all fall. And only one kingdom is still there, his kingdom, kingdom of God. So make sure you're a part of that kingdom. Otherwise, you'll fall. You'll fall. Make sure there's a moment. You have surrendered your life to the king of the kingdom. Now folks, whenever you, you surrender your life, you don't take it back. You don't just walk an aisle and add Jesus to your life and walk out the back doors and live like you want to live. Value what you want to value. Believe what you want to believe and do what you want to do. Go where you want to go. Drink what you want to drink. When you surrender your life to the king of the kingdom, it's his. It's not yours. But when you've truly surrendered your your lives to the king of the kingdom things change and you'll never fall because your kingdom lasts now many of this morning just just to be honest many of you here many of you watching online you're you're not a part of the kingdom you come to church every now and then you're not a part of the kingdom try to do good, but you're not a part of the kingdom. Your, your kingdom's here, America. It's Your allegiance is here. Your, your alliance is here. It's where you place all of your interests. And you see people all the time, they'll come to church on Sunday, but they're, they're really not interested in the kingdom of God. They're here, but they're not interested in the kingdom of God. Because as soon as they leave their life, they don't think about the rest of the week. Because their kingdom's here. And this kingdom's not going to last. Only that kingdom will stand. Here's the third lesson there will be trials in this life. Daniel makes it very clear there are going to be some hard things happen, trials, problems. And hardships and very difficult days. Now, I know sometimes you go to church or you turn on an internet preacher and and they'll say, Oh, just give your life to Jesus and you'll have no more problems. I don't find that that anywhere in the Bible. In fact, Jesus said, If they persecuted me, they're gonna persecute you. So you're gonna have a hard time. I'm gonna have a hard time. Life's tough. And we're going to have trials. And like I said, some, some people don't, we, we show up at church, we hear a preacher say, you live your best life now, it's just, your ship's going to come in, and oh, it's going to be wonderful, and life, every day is going to be rosy. No, it's not. Because we hear those kind of sermons, and then we say, wow, when my life's not rosy, either something's wrong with me, or God lied to me, and you become disillusioned with God. And that's why Peter said, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, brothers, don't, don't think it's strange when you fall into trials as though a strange thing's happened to you. They're going to come. Trials are coming. But you're on the winning team. In the end, you win. So hang in there. And then lesson number four. The future is bright for God's people. The future is bright. Yes, D- Daniel 11 prophesies some scary things. I mean, it's scary to think about an Arab league of nations going against a northern country right over Israel in Armageddon and Armageddon and Antichrist rising up and hating God's people. And all of this is, is frightening. But at the very end, Believers in Jesus reign victoriously. We win. At the very end. So the future is bright if you are a child of God today. But make sure, make sure you're really a child of God. Because Jesus said, right before the last days will come, there will be many imposters that show up. Imposters that say, oh, I'm a a Christian. I'm a believer. Jesus, no, you're not. There will be those that say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. And he said, I'll say to them, I depart. I never knew you. There will be many that go to church that aren't in the kingdom. So make sure you're in the kingdom. Don't fool Christ. Try to fool Him. And more importantly, don't try to fool yourself. Be honest. You know, there's a current trend going on right now in churches, mostly among the millennial generation, but it's other generations as well. It's called, I don't know if you've heard it or not, it's called deconstruction. Deconstruction. One church leader yesterday said it is exploding across America. What is deconstruction? Deconstruction is taking everything that you've learned and heard about God, about Jesus, about the Bible, about church, and disregarding it. Deconstruction. It's a trend. We probably have those here. We probably have those online deconstructing everything you've always been taught, everything you've always heard, you reject it. And it's a fast growing trend across our nation. Deconstruct your faith. I began the message with a percentage on the screen, 11%. Now let me show you another one to close, 70%. 70%, you know what that number represents? The number of people raised in church who eventually quit church. 70%. Raised in the faith, raised being taught the word, I'm sure we have those sitting right here. You're one of these 70%. You're here today, maybe for graduation or for whatever other reason, but you're one of the 70%. You no longer are active in a church of your faith. You have quit. The first of the service, we honored 16 graduates. 16 of them come up here and stood, and we stood and applauded. 11 of these 16 one year from now, won't be in church and will be deconstructing their faith. 11 of the 16. Wow. Scripture said in the last time there will come a great falling away. Falling away from the faith. I just hope it's not you Let's pray father I want to thank you today for your word it's a bright future for your people Lord and I would I would love to think that everyone sitting out here and everyone watching this service all in the faith Lord that's that's probably not true so father help each one of us today make sure that we're in the only kingdom that lasts We're not going to be in a kingdom that falls. Father, help us today to be serious about the end times, what it looks like, what our role looks like, and to make sure regardless of how tough life gets, we don't give up the faith, we don't deconstruct what we know to be right. So Lord, help us today. In Jesus' name, amen.